0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good
1: morning again. Uh, This morning's uh, scripture reading is going to be out of uh, the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Um, If you're using the Bibles underneath the chairs, this is on page 807. Or you can follow along in the screen up here. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus.
0: This has been the reading of god 's word. So uh, my family is big on Christmas. When I say my family, I don't just mean my immediate family, though we we are. Uh, though Megan would, she, she thinks I'm a little bit cringy because I won't decorate the outside of our house uh, or at all or much. And part of that is because I'm I am very afraid of heights, and a lot of decorating involves like ladders, and so I'd rather just not get into the whole thing. So like I'm all for decorating inside, but it's the outside thing that makes me a little bit nervous. Um, and, and I you know maybe one day. She, Both of us will come to terms with that and have a piece about that, but you know we're really big about Christmas and and and, but it's not just it's not just our family; it's, it's my extended family as well. Like we're suckers. For anything Christmas, uh, if you ever talk to my sisters or mom, you know, like they they like they're like Christmas sponges. They 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 try to find any bit of spirit of the season and they soak it up deeply. Like they're like suckers for uh, Christmas plays and Christmas movies and Christmas music. They start they, they break to me. uh the, the Christmas music line is Thanksgiving, or the, particularly the day after Thanksgiving. I'll give you Thanksgiving if you want to sneak it into that holiday. But to me, it's the day after thanksgiving they they're like in august and july listening to christmas music which i feel like it's not really christmas music anymore it's just music that you're stretching out for the rest of the year but they 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 like to soak it all in christmas plays lights movies all of it so it really wasn't a surprise to me when they told me that their TVs were tuned every night to the Hallmark channel and has been since thanksgiving and you don't have to raise your hand if you're a Hallmark of, uh, if you're a if you're addicted to it, as many people are. I discovered this recently. It's a a really big deal. But I wasn't surprised that they were watching the Hallmark Channel, because I thought they just love Christmas so much that they're going to watch all those cheesy Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel. They're going to soak that up. But then, to my surprise, the last week in the Washington Post, there was an article about the phenomenon that is the Hallmark Channel at Christmas time, and particularly this year. Like, The Hallmark Channel Christmas season has become an event. It's a big deal. They released, I think it's over 30 new original Christmas movies this season alone. They're just a factory pumping out Christmas movies. And if you haven't seen, seen, any of, seen any of them, it really is a factory. So it basically follows a, a script where there's the, a career-minded girl from the city who's very busy. And for some reason, she finds herself in a small town where she meets a nondescript handsome guy who like, chops wood and you know kind of a rustic kind of guy. And he doesn't wear boots like I wear boots. He actually, actually wears boots because he's working and, and has calluses on his hands. And, and, and she meets him, and she's, she's really frustrated with the whole thing, and then she gets caught up into uh, the, the Christmas spirit and discovers the joys of, of the Christmas spirit and falls in love with the man and finds true love, and it snows at the end, right? So, <laughs> and they shoot these movies, and this is true, they shoot these movies, almost all of them, in Vancouver, so, like, so these movies are based in either nondescript small city in the South or the Midwest or the or the Northeast. Now, you can change these plot lines around. Some of them involve a train that, for some reason, like the the article I read said, it, it would be sort of like murder. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express. If you took away murder and put in Christmas spirit, like for some reason they're on they're on a train and they're trying to figure out where the Christmas spirit comes from. So, so the, the the plot lines like is nondescript, sitting in the South or the Midwest or the Northeast, but they're all happen in Vancouver, BC because they give them a big tax break to do it there, and they use the same house for all the shows. So if you see like you know, it, and it's, it's a it's a former star from the '90s, the, the lady, the, the the lead, like probably a child star from the '90s and she's standing in the same kitchen as the former child star from the other 90s show was in last night because they're using all the same thing and pumping them out. But the, the premise of this article was that people are turning to the Hallmark Channel in unprecedented numbers and it's a huge phenomenon. And they, they interviewed people with this story. It wasn't just like, like you would expect, like I'm not really pigeonhole anybody here, but like, you know, 40 some year old mom at home, like folding laundry. Like these, like they are interviewing like sports agents. There was a, tight end in the nfl who who is single who is admitting that he goes home every night and watches the hallmark (laughs) channel which by the way more power to him for doing that and to print in print but it's people from all ages and backgrounds and they're doing it because the news is so bad on tv Everything that we see and everything that we hear on TV and online is just in radio. Doesn't it just like weigh you down and you want to just unplug in something that will, will actually deliver on its promises for you? Because the source of all our frustration and all our sadness and everything that we see, I mean, even football is political now, right? used to be you could sit down and watch football and it's like, you know, we could all watch it. Now it's like, you know, you're making a political statement if you turn it on or you don't. Now it's a big deal. And so we can turn on the Hallmark Channel and it doesn't promise much, but it delivers on everything that it promises. The girl, the guy is going to find the Christmas spirit. They're going to find true love and it's going to snow and you're going to feel okay about it. And you can watch that every night and you can sort of unplug and be all right everything that's overwhelming all around us, we can just turn it off and turn that on and watch it and relax. It always delivers on the promise. This is the third week of Advent. And Advent is a word that means waiting. And the the reason that we celebrate that in the church calendar is because we're waiting, we're remembering, and we are waiting now on the great promise that was promised to us. Politicians have promised and they don't deliver and then we get frustrated and we want to cut it off and watch, uh, watch the Hallmark Channel, the... that new job or that new relationship that new house that new car that it doesn't deliver on everything that we hoped it would deliver on and we get frustrated and sad and we don't know where to turn to and so we cut on the hallmark channel or whatever your escape is but beneath and below all those promises that don't deliver is the great promise that was promised us so here we are week before it's all on right like today's the 17th seven days from now it's it's christmas eve and we're staring down the barrel and some of us are filled with anxiety because we don't know if christmas is going to deliver on all that we hoped it would deliver on if christmas is going to live up to all that we hoped it would if we're going to live up to all that we all that we think it will actually fulfill all the promises that we think that it should make, that it that it should fulfill, and will it, will we be able to fulfill all the promises that we thought that we would this Christmas? But here's the good news that we're going to start our Christmas weekend with. Number one, this Christmas may or may not be. This is my points. Letting you, these these Christmas may not may or may not be all that you promised it would be. Let's just own that. Uh, I have. <laughs> Some of the worst fights Meg and I have been in have been on a Christmas Eve night. When all the frustrations and pressures are all building on that one night and it's suddenly like a tidal wave, it hits you like this is not going to be all that we hoped it would be this year. It, Christmas cannot f- check all the boxes off that we need and we wanted to check off. It may or may not be all that you hoped it would be. All that you promised yourself what it would be. But it doesn't have to be. Because the first Christmas, the great promise was delivered on. That lies beneath all the lesser promises that we have made and have been made to us and continually are broken and never met. The great promise of God is fulfilled at Christmas because we see three things this morning. We see that God came to us. That is, if you can take a guy wearing a Darth Vader sweater seriously for the next few moments, we're going to see God came to us. God became one of us. And God is now with us. Christmas- the first Christmas fulfilled the greatest promise that was been made to us and checks all the boxes off for us because God came to us, God became one of us, and God is now with us. Let's look at the passage that was read this morning again. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. This is the way Matthew really starts off his gospel. The first part of chapter one is going through the whole genealogy leading up to Jesus, and now he's starting the story Story, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, first, the thing that tells us is that this is not just a fable. This is a historic fact, and that, that's really difficult at Christmas because Christmas is filled with fable. Christmas is filled with uh, these fairy tale elements. Christmas is filled with like we we've heard these stories before, right? We've heard these passages before. That's what's difficult about these passages. It's what's difficult about this season for a Christian. It's because we've we've I mean. We've heard them in the peanuts at the end of every Christmas, every single year, line us with his blanket and reading the story. We've heard, like, we've heard it over and over again that it becomes difficult to disconnect fact from fiction, fact from fairy tale. It really happens. The birth of Jesus Christ factually and historically took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, who would have been a very young girl, was betrothed to Joseph before they came together that's but so she was betrothed it was sort of an official legal something more than an engagement it's a, a sort of a pre-marriage uh, uh, label that you would have on each other that was legally binding to each other. It's as if you were married, but you were not yet living together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now, that had just, you read over that quickly, and we know that where this is going, right? And we picture Mary and the angel and the hay and the donkeys. and all kind of blends together, right? There's a star, and, you know, it all kind of starts to blur together. But, like, picture this, a a young girl in a time when uh, your family's reputation was the most important thing that you had in your life, this, young girl who was not to have touched or been with a man at all she's betrothed to be married to this man he's not a he's not a rich man by any means but he's a good upstanding tradesman in their town and would not have been a large town either this girl who was very young the 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 pride of a young girl at this time would be to be delivered as a virgin virgin to her husband and to bring uh, a dowry back to her family and bring a good name upon her family by a good marriage. She's found to be with child. Can you imagine all that would go in that? Some of us in here have had to have tough conversations at some point as a teenager with our parents, right? We sort of disappointed them. We didn't live up to all they some of us have had tough conversations with our friends and when our spouses try to tell them, hey, let me tell you, I'm not, I'm not really who you think I am. I've done something that I need to tell you about, and it's going to really affect the way that you think and feel about me. That's what happens to Mary as it becomes obvious that she is with child. And somehow Joseph finds out about it. Did he hear about it from her parents? An incredible Shame. Did she tell him face to face? And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, so he's not hes not going to marry her because he's just, because as far as he knows, she's been sleeping around on him, right? I mean, would you believe the story? Your girlfriend comes to you and says, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's not with the other man. <laughs> You're not going to believe that like look I I'm a sucker for you know but I'm not going to buy into that one cuz I know how this works but he's also a merciful man and we see that he's unwilling to put her to shame so he resolves to divorce her quietly he's going to put her to the side quietly which means that she's going to be a marred and a marked woman in her town for the rest of her life. And she's going to bring shame upon not just herself, but upon her father and her family for the rest of her life. And she's going to be a blight upon them. That everybody in the town and village is going to look at her and going to look at her parents as being a failure. She's sullied. She's dirty. She's broken. She's broken. He resolved to divorce her quietly, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And in this dream, the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph, this carpenter. He would have had very calloused hands. He would have been a hard-working man. He would probably not be very educated at all, especially by our standards. But even in the day, he would have been educated in his trade, but not much above that. He's a simple man. And to this simple carpenter man in this hobunk village of Nazareth, the angel of the Lord speaks to him and he repeats to him the promise that God has been making throughout all of history to mankind. But now it's very personal promise to both him and to Mary. See, the promise from the very beginning from God to mankind is from the beginning, He made us in His image and in His likeness. He made us to enjoy and to live in fellowship with Him forever and ever. But that was broken by our great great grandfather Adam. And ever since then, we have been by nature and by choice sinners and separated from Him, separated from the one for whom we're created. Can you imagine? Some of you have experienced being separated from your child, the one who came from you, is a progeny from you, and all the great heartache that would go with that. Think of how God, the God, was feel must feel about mankind who created to be in fellowship with Him and to enjoy Him forever. They are now separated from Him, and He makes this promise throughout all history to mankind after mankind, to King and to Prophet, saying, "Hey, we are separated, but one day." I will bring a Messiah who will come and he will make it right. And the great promise has been, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will put a new heart within you. I will make you so that you can be with me. Because up until this point, to be around God, once we fell in Adam, to be around God is to be filled with terror. Every time we see somebody come into the presence of God throughout Scripture up until this point, they are filled with absolute and utter terror. What's the first thing the angels say to people who see a vision of God through the Old Testament? They say, do not be afraid. Why do they say that? Because they were deathly afraid. Because to see God, Isaiah sees God in this amazingly beautiful vision. He sees God enthroned in the sanctuary in the train of his robe, filling the temple. And Isaiah, what what is how does he respond? He doesn't say, This is beautiful or this is awesome. He says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I'm I am undone. He he knows he fully expects to be to be killed, to be evaporated in the presence of the holy God. That's what it's like to be in presence of a holy God when you're a sinful, separated man. And yet at this point, The angel repeats the promise that God had made throughout all history. I'm going to make that right again. I'm going to do a work in your heart and I'm going to bring you to me and I will be your God and you will be my people. I will put my spirit in you and I will dwell with you and in you and among you as my people. That's been the great promise. And now it's a very personal promise that he makes to Joseph, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's the word for it, the same uh, Old Testament name as Joshua or Yeshua. It means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So he's telling him, this promise I'm making to you. Because Joseph doesn't know this. He's telling Joseph this is what's going to happen, right? It's still a promise. And he tells him this is to fulfill what has been spoken by the prophet. And really he could say prophets all the way through. But he's speaking a particular prophecy now. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel I don't know if there's a more beautiful word in certainly in the bible in language than this word Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us Now here's the one of the beautiful things, there's so many things that you could point at this, but one of the beautiful things in this is that it could you could, might be confused because in verse 21 it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, right? Which we know is what they ended up calling him. But then in verse 23 he says, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, they say, Now you shall call... You shall call his name Jesus. And he says, they shall call his name Emmanuel. How do we square those things together? What he's saying is, you, Mary and Joseph, will call his name Jesus. And because of who he is and the promise that is being fulfilled in him, they, that means everyone, will call him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife But knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. God came to us. That's the promise of of Christmas is that. Or the great promise even beneath all promises is that God would come to us. And that's the great and beautiful promise that is fulfilled at Christmas is that God came to us. Now, that's not really great and precious news. That's not a great and precious promise to you until and unless you view yourself as needing somebody to come and help you and to save you. It's sort of like that sort of, uh, I'm sure it drives me crazy. Guys asking for directions isn't a big deal in cars anymore. Thanks, iPhone. Like, we don't have to, like, well, I can find my way there without asking anybody. But in a store, Uh, When I walk into a store to find something, I'm determined to find it. Because I'm pretty far removed from my hunter-gatherer, you know, background. This is one place I can sort of do that again. I can walk in and I'm like, all right, somewhere in here are, you know, scallop scalloped potatoes in a box. And I got to find that box. And so I'm going to figure out what aisle would that be in. Because it's not on the placard at the end of the aisle, right? Like box scalloped potatoes are down this aisle. You got to figure out like, hey, I think if they would put it with this and that. And then you walk up and you have this very, very sad, but very small celebration in my heart. Like, hey, I found it. And so I'm not going to, I will gladly wander a store unless I'm in a huge hurry. And even then, I'm just going to walk faster. I would gladly wander a store for four times longer than it should actually take to find the item. In order for me to find the item, Megan doesn't understand that. She, 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 she thinks that she should just ask somebody. But now, I will finally ask somebody when I get desperate enough. When I realize that it's, something is over my head. It's whenever you realize that something is above your pay grade, that you don't have the capability to do what needs to be done, that you'll finally break down and ask for help. And to the extent that you are in trouble and to the extent that you need the help will be the extent to which you feel grateful and happy about the help that has come to you. And so Christmas, the promise that it fulfills, won't be a great and precious promise fulfilled to you, until you come to the point where you realize that Jesus actually was light coming to darkness and I was in that darkness. Listen to what the angel said to Joseph. He's not just sending you a son so that you can have some cool Christmas carols and have a Christmas tree and have a cute nativity scene with the shepherd and the wise men there. Which is probably wrong that they probably weren't even there but that's a whole nother point. He says, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. God came to us because we were separated and we were left apart from him. He came to us because we could not go to him. That's the great promise that Christmas fulfills is that we needed to be reunited to God and we could not find a way to get there. And if you could find a way, you would not have gone in that direction. And he saw you and he saw me in that state. And you know what he did? He came for you. He came for me. He came to us. We wouldn't go to God. Every time we see in Scripture that people see God, they are always afraid of him. We're either going to ignore him or be fearful of him by nature. Because something in the deep, deepest parts of ourselves, that deep part of ourselves that... Sometimes we're only real with the, as we're lying in bed and about to fall asleep. Something deep within ourselves says that there is a God, but something also tells us, whispers, but he, you either you won't know part of him or he wants no know part of you or both. We're conscious of this great gulf that is between us and him. And, and, and it's that gulf that makes everything else suck. Can I use that word, Dale? It's that, it's that distance between him and me and you and him by nature that in all of us as humankind that makes everything suck so bad. Nothing ever fulfills what, it, what, we, what we want it to fulfill. Nothing ever looks like we want it and need it to look like. Because we are separated from the one who gives us meaning and life and hope and joy. And when that is, and when that is off, everything else is off. You know how if you're married and you have kids, you know, like, or, or remember maybe you remember as a kid, like, when mom and dad aren't right, like, it just, you can feel it in the whole house. It hangs over the house like a mist. It's like that, but by, multiplied by infinity. When we're not right with God, it messes up the way that we think about money and relationships and ourselves and life. God came because we couldn't go to him. And God came because he loved us. That could be such a throwaway statement. If you've been around church very long, like you, you've heard, like John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Like, it, we've heard it, Right? isn't every single bad decision you've ever made in your life based upon the, somewhere, based upon the fact of you deeply desiring a love that would be absolutely unconditional for you? Something that would fulfill all its promises and love you unconditionally and forever and never give up. It's when you see and feel the fact that We couldn't go to God, and He came to us because we couldn't go to Him, and He came because He loved us and not at a sense of devotion or duty. That it revolutionizes your heart. It's then that you begin to feel the weight and the beauty of the promise that was fulfilled at the first Christmas that lies beneath all the other broken promises god came to us but god also became one of us this is incredible news god could have come if you can imagine him coming in any any numbers of certain ways right he could have come as an amazing conquering king and blinding light with a, a powerful army with a incredible palace that would fall down on the earth to such an extent of glory and magnificence that it wouldn't help but every single person on the face of the earth acknowledge that you are a greater God, you are a greater king than anything else that we have ever tried to put together. You are above all of that. But he would just come as a conquering king in that way. He didn't just come as a conquering king. He became one of us. Think about that. Think about most of us. He came came because we needed saving. And us realizing that we need saving is the first step to understanding and appreciate the beauty of Christmas. If you don't accept your own darkness, your own messed upness, your own own the fact that, hey, I'm just left to myself, I don't do a very good job with life. Like, some of you guys are pretty good in certain areas. We all have certain areas that are our sweet spots, right? Yours might be business, or yours might be relationships, yours might be, you might be a stellar mom, or dad, or whatever it is that you're good at. I'm good at eating, I don't know what I'm, other, but, For whatever areas that you're strong in, you have glaring weaknesses that you're bad in. And most of us spend life, like, have you ever tried to get the clothes from the hamper across on the, that's for some reason on the other side of the house, to the washing machine in one load, in one armful? And you think you got it until you, you, like, put it all in the washing machine and you turn around. And, like, you see, like, you left things a trail, even though you would see something drop and you would, like, You know, do the whole like dance of like I'm down, but I'm gonna pick up this sock and now I've got it. Now the oh that fell out and I'm gonna pick that up and you're trying to make it, but you're all something always is falling to the side. Like that's what getting laundry is like to the wash. That's really what life is like as well. Like no matter how many times that you think I've got it all together, it's something that's spilling over there, and we can't ever quite get our stuff together. It's because we need saving. It's because of the very core of who we are. We need him to set things right in our hearts with with inside us and most importantly with him that's when everything else becomes right he became one of us because we were under the condemnation of sin which really is our great problem but the problem is that we don't see our great problem we think if we were honest with ourselves even those of us who have been christians a long time if we were really really honest with ourselves with each other this morning we would we would be honest like i really think my problem is i don't make enough money Or that I'm too big, or I'm too skinny, or my face is too wrinkly, or uh, I wish I had brown eyes, or I wish I had a different job, or uh, if my house was bigger, if it was smaller, or if my yard was nicer, if my kids were not so demonic, if my, you know, if, if my spouse would finally, like, do what I want them to do, then everything would be okay then. And maybe all those things are problems. But if you could fix every single one of those, it wouldn't fix the core problem. The core problem was the promise to Joseph you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He became one of us because it was the only way for us to be united to him. We needed an acceptable substitute to pay the debt that we owe. And it had to be somebody who could withstand the wrath of God being poured out upon him. It had to be somebody who would assure that the sacrifice was a holy and unblemished sacrifice. And that could only be someone outside of humanity. It could only be God. And it had to be God in order to make sure he could withstand the wrath of God. And it had to be God in order to accept the payment of that wrath. It had to be him if we were to be saved. That word Emmanuel is a very strong word. It, it doesn't just mean that God is with us, like He's, like we're all with each other this morning. It's it's much stronger than that. So so I'm a, I'm a big Clemson fan, and I'm not just throwing this in there, Dale, just so I can say Clemson again. But I feel like I have a pretty good streak going by inserting that into the sermon. But uh, for for there's a, there's a purpose this morning. Uh, so I'm a pretty big Clemson fan. And I have been all my life. As a kid, I listened to them on the radio before all the shows were on. Before all the games were on TV, I, I had posters in my room. I had, the, you know, this T-shirt, sweatshirts. So I, I suffered through some rough years. Like I've been a fan my whole entire life. It's one of my earliest memories. Deciding I was going to be a Clemson fan, and it just stuck all the way, all the way through. And and so in that way, like I'm with them, right? I mean, I've got the hats and the shirts, and I've been to the games, and I was at the national championship game, which they won last year, Dale. And, and I, I was, you know, I'm, for as many ways as I can be, I am with them. But the truth is, I'm not with that football team. As, as much as I would like to associate myself with them, I do not put on a helmet and put on a uniform and go out there and perform. I'm not there when they're getting up early in the morning in the off season and working out and practicing together. I haven't shared in the blood, sweat, and tears that they actually share in as a team. I try very hard when I say, when I talk about Clemson, not to say we won or we did this, even though I find myself falling into it sometimes because we didn't do anything. They did it, and I'm cheering either at home or from the sidelines. But God didn't do that for us. God came on the field with us and became one of us. That's the meaning of that word with that's in the word Emmanuel. It means a strong or close association with them. He locked his future and his destiny in with ours. He became one of us. He didn't just watch from afar. He didn't watch from the stands. He didn't throw money or resources towards us and say, "Hey angels, go clean up this mess these people have made on the earth." He came to us and became one of us and therefore deeply invested himself in humanity and that changes everything and what that means is it means he's not done with this world yet as messed up as it may be it means he's not done with humanity yet as messed up as we may be and here's the news beneath all of that for you this morning it means he's not done with you yet And the assurance of that promise being fulfilled is that that baby came, was born in Bethlehem, and he was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. That's your assurance. That he's not done with this world or with us or with you yet. And now, God is now with us. Think about it. The human experience is kind of weird, isn't it? Like, we're born, and let's just be honest, we're born, like, weird, crinkly babies, right? I mean, babies are cute, but, like, have you ever thought about how, like, have you seen a baby when they're first born? Like, I thought, like, Sophia, I was like, like, it's an alien. I didn't understand what was going on. She was white, and, like, her head was big, and I didn't understand. Like, it was just, it was just weird. Like, we're born, like, kind of sometimes, like, I'm sure your baby is cute, but like, if you like, it's, it's kind of weird when you think about it, right? We're born as little babies. We grow. And before we hit, like, like when we hit our physical prime, we're not yet in our like mental prime. And by the time we reach our mental prime, like our body's falling apart. And then we're thinking about death. Like it's, it's hanging over us. Like the sword of Damocles above us all the time. Like it's, it's just impending. It's coming. We, if, we, if we are lucky enough to make it to old age, then we're having other people care for us. Like, the, like when you think like we should be able to like have earned something, all of a sudden like other people are now having to care for us. We can do less than we ever could before. The world starts to shrink around us. Have you ever thought about that? How weird the human existence is? Jesus stepped into that. Jesus became a human. He shared all the weird parts about being human. He shared it with you. When you look in the mirror and you don't look like you did five years ago for better or for worse. And gravity is starting to take over and things are starting to hang in places that they shouldn't be hanging. And things that should be up, it should be down or not. Like it's just things are all out of place. He's human. He's human. He shared the human experience with you and with me. He's united to us in form. As death hangs over all of us, he faced death. God is now with us and he, as in that he's united to us in experiences. Have you experienced sorrow? Some of you have experienced profound sorrow in your life. For some of you, it's even what makes you dread Christmas because when you see the Hallmark movies or you see people around you on Instagram that are all smiling with their family, you're like, that's not my experience, and it hurts. Some of you have been wronged terribly. Some of you are being wronged right now. Some of you are full of sorrow and dread and fear, and he knows what that is like. He was a man of sorrows well acquainted with grief he experienced joy he experienced joy he sat around a meal with his disciples with his family he experienced the joy as a carpenter what it means to actually design something and build it and have it look like you actually want it to look and the joy of creation There's nothing that we have experienced that he has not experienced. God is with us and that he is united with us in our destiny. And this blows my mind and feels like it gets somewhere close to blasphemy, but yet it's not. And that's what's so crazy about it is that. The second person of the Godhead became a human and today is seated at the right hand of his father. And if you're a believer, your father and my father, as a human being, 100% God, but yet also 100% man still at the right hand of the father. God is not far removed from you. He came for you. He became one of us. And now, in the right hand of heaven, the right hand of the Father in heaven is a human being, the 100% God, 100% man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There, the Bible says, making intercession for you and me. Your destiny is now tied up in his destiny. You can be assured that your future is going to be better than your past as a human being. I'm not saying like tomorrow. I mean like a hundred years from now, your future will be better than your past because he is sitting there. He came, he became, and he is now there. And not only that, he is with us. If you are a believer in Christ and the presence and power, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in you and in me and among us. This is the promise that has been fulfilled for all the doubters and skeptics. Are you a doubter and skeptic this morning? And it's okay. Come to the one who has experienced doubt, Jesus Christ, and let him give you faith. It, it, the promise is fulfilled this morning for the suffering. Are you in pain? Is your heart breaking? Are you physically breaking down? Come to the one who has experienced vast amounts of suffering. Who has experienced incredible physical pain and faced death. And experienced death for you and me. The promise is fulfilled this morning for the confused and for the lonely. Are you lonely this morning? You cannot be more lonely than the Son of God who... Was as he was hanging on the cross, was both separated from man and separated from God with only the wrath of God being poured out upon him. The loneliest man in the world. Not just at that moment too, but the night before as he's in the garden, he has his best friends around him. He's facing impending death and they won't even stay awake to pray with him. He's experienced loneliness. This is the promise fulfilled for the faltering believer He came because you couldn't cross over. And he gives us faith when we have none to offer to bring to the table. The promises filled this morning for the forgotten. Do you feel forgotten? If we're, if we're honest, most of us experience Christmas blues at the heart of it is because we feel forgotten or we're afraid we're forgotten sometimes you can be in a room and everyone else is laughing and joking and you feel like you're the loneliest person on the planet because of the core you're wondering and you're fearful do people really care do I really have a place do I really matter you do and the proof isn't in how popular you are, or how loved you are by your family. The proof that you're not forgotten and that you matter is that she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You matter and you're not forgotten because God came, he became one of us, and he is now with us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church.